0: everybody happy fall we are joined today carl by one of our favorite guests joshua ray one of our colleagues in the st louis film critics association good morning good morning oh. thanks for having me again
1: guys well thank you now hold you. on
2: now hold, you say good morning what if someone's listening to this at 10 o'clock
1: at night I was well, gonna well say, I, good evening you know good day good, good, good night jog whatever you're doing.
0: I know I, I tend to say in the moment
2: before we talk to Joshua, we'll talk about Lynn's son's wedding in just a second. And then around minute four, dear Evan Hansen, around minute 22, the guilty around minute 28, the eyes of Tammy Faye around minute 51, cry macho around one hour and one minute blue Bayou around one hour and four minutes, star Wars visions on Disney plus around one hour and eight minutes. Everyone's talking about Jamie, Around one hour and 11 minutes, the theater roundup. Around one hour and 20 minutes, people who have passed away. And then around one hour and 34 minutes, sweat at the black rep.
0: When I was in Chicago for my son's wedding the past five days, I did not take that many photos during this. Well, during the whoa, ceremony. Whoa, whoa, no. whoa, whoa. You uh, sent
2: me at least 30 of them. <laughs> so that's that's not a lot?
0: No, um, okay. not. No, 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 no. I took at the reception mm-hmm. but not at the ceremony other people sent them to me
2: oh okay
0: and uh because I wanted to be in the moment and also they did hire two professional photographers so you know you don't want to get in their way but uh, people sent me photos and uh their reception was uh, quite the production it was just so gorgeous their theme was Um, 1970s and uh, Maria was going for a Frida Kahlo day of the dead disco vibe and it was beautiful and um, I will say that this has been a long time coming because last year they had to cancel and then they had the rooftop civil ceremony that none of us parents could go to Because Illinois and Missouri were on the New York quarantine. And they were, that was the time they were checking people in their car on the New Jersey Turnpike to make, you know. Well, anyway, so now we had the church and the family all got together and it was a wonderful celebration. And Maria's maiden name is Jensiv and Charlie Venha. So my couple name for them is Jenven. So now Jenven is in uh, glamping in grand Canyon and ending in Vegas. They wanted to go places they had never been. So okay. they're relaxing. I got one picture from a, from a Phoenix golf course. And other than that, nothing
2: good. Let them, let them be, let them I know. enjoy I'm, their time. They got right. married three times in a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we have we have great. Things to talk about this weekend, we do, because Lynn, there was no episode last weekend because Lynn was, uh, you know, celebrating her child getting married again. So let's let's stay in the present, though, and talk about the biggest movie of the weekend. And someone might say the biggest disappointment of the weekend. I
1: I have have Tammy Faye. (laughs)
2: <laughs> hey, well you know what that is also some people are saying it is great and some people are saying it is absolutely awful do you All want right, to start with Tammy Faye?
1: The gun, but uh, <laughs> no i'm sorry what's 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 the biggest one this weekend i think i'm missing out on something um
0: dear evan hansen which carl and i both saw the stage musical at the fox mm-hmm. in 2019 november one of the last shows we did see pre-pandemic times, and I'm a huge fan of the the musical, and uh, that music is just spectacular by Golden Boys, Benj Pasek, and Justin Paul, who wrote the La La Land songs and also The Greatest Greatest Showman, Showman. Mm -hmm. and their uh, Broadway creds before that was a really good play called uh, Dogfight, and also the adaptation of A Christmas Story okay and they are university of michigan graduates and there's a lot of musical theater people from university of michigan and so they are the darlings of the young the new songwriters and uh their score for dear evan hansen like i cried the whole entire time at the fox and so did Uh, When uh, Stephen Colbert saw it on Broadway, he told Ben Platt that he cried from the minute it started. And so it's a deeply emotional uh, play and personal. And so I was a little worried about Ben Platt being 27 and playing his signature role that he won the Tony for. But I'm going to defend him because I don't think anybody. You're the one. Yes. I'm the one. Well, Kent was fine with him and Kent gave it a B plus and I gave it a B plus and he never saw, saw the play, but he loved the message so much. So Ben Platt to me, nobody can capture that vulnerability, that anxiety and that yearning for to belong and friendship and, and all of that, that, that the play is about connection, which fits in our post pandemic times although we're not really post yet but i thought he was fine and there's a lot of quibbles about him i did think the hair was weird
2: that's his reg that's his own hair it's not a wig that's his own hair and also what they did was they put pancake makeup on him and they made his skin look flawless which was a mistake they should not have made his skin they, he's supposed to be a high school senior they have blemishes on their face his skin looked pure as the driven snow they should have put a pimple on his nose or something like that to take focus away from how pristine his makeup was and even shows like pen 15 where they have older people playing young people you're that's part of the thing this was not part of the thing cuz everybody else is young you you've got uh amandla stenberg you have caitlin deaver and uh nick dodani, uh, nick dodani. They're, they're all these kids playing kids and colton ryan he plays uh connor murphy so but you he have,
0: does look a little older he does
2: look a little but he's barely in the movie so th- right that does, and, that and he, he
0: played the understudy he was an understudy on broadway
2: and it's weird lynn adults play teenagers all the time look oh, at oh yeah look at greece greece or riverdale or uh bye bye birdie or were you upset when they uh didn't have the original cast in my fair lady back in the 60s
0: not well i was too young okay to really know but, but there, i there mean i know julie there, andrews got screwed there so, is press
2: yeah but then she came back and won an Oscar for Mary
0: Poppins. Right so, which was like ha ha ha. Well
2: <laughs> there's precedent for them recasting. Poor in, Mary Martin in
0: Look The Heights.
2: In The Heights they lin Manuel is like I'm too old for this part. Let somebody else do it. And he still did it. And there was way there were ways in Dear Evan Hansen the film to have anybody in the original cast because there's a scene where they do a whole bunch of social media posts they could have had the original cast in those social media posts and i hope maybe there are some people in that because they they should honor just like what we were talking about small engine repair they had the original cast as cameos in that movie so it's 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 been done and it's been done well this takes for some people it's going to take it out take them out of the movie and that's unfortunate because I think the movie is fine. But if you're a fan of the play, you're going to be upset because they changed the ending.
0: Um, well, I actually thought the ending was better. Cause I think in the no. musical, it's uh, too abrupt.
2: Well, the whole, th- I, even though it, it's a two act play, but in the movie, it's still a three act sequence. The third act is awful. I, I, I can't defend what they changed and what they did. Um, I do like Amanda Stenberg. I loved her as Rue. I loved her in The Hate You Give. I think she's great. And I think the song that she sings, which they added for the movie that she helped write, I think that's great and it's seamless. But in the play, her character is the villain. And so they softened her edges. And then therefore,
0: as it should be, The
2: main villain of Dear Evan Hansen is Evan Hansen.
0: Well, he he creates a lie that he can't get out of and damages a lot of people. And uh, they um, I can see how it went south. What happens is, Joshua, if you're not familiar with this, this is all about loneliness. The the kid, Evan Hansen, has a severe social anxiety disorder. He is medicated. He goes to therapy. His single mother played in the movie, who Julian Moore is fine as his mom, but the Broadway woman won the Best Featured Actress, Tony, because she sings a song so big, so small, and the entire audience at the Fox was uh, sniffling mm-hmm. during her song because it's, it's about be, uh, being a single parent and wanting uh, to, uh, you know, do the best thing for their kid. And then he basically... Um, what happens in high school is he's supposed to write these daily affirmation letters to himself, therapy ordered. So dear Evan Hansen, hence the title. And uh, in the library, he sends it to the printer and Connor Murphy, the antisocial kid who's very hostile and has issues. He finds it on the printer and it mentions his sister Zoe, Zoe, and he takes offense at that, and he screams at Evan Hansen, and he rips a letter. He takes it with him, and uh, Evan Hansen has a cast for a broken arm, and he writes Connor very big on the cast, and he goes, there, we can both pretend we have friends, and uh, a few days later he kills himself and his that letter is found in his jacket and his grieving mother played wonderfully by amy adams is uh thinks that they're friends and that's his her son's only friend and then they invite evan to dinner and instead of telling them the truth well, they notice the conner on his arm. And so he gets caught up because he wants to please them. And he doesn't want to rain on their parade. So he goes along with it and then makes it worse. See, the song for forever will make you cry. And it's about a kid having a friend. and And it's a friendless kid having a friend. And it's just, oh, my God. So anyway... The songs I thought were handled very well in the movie because it's a movie and people don't break out in song in real life. But uh, so this lie keeps building. And what happens is social media gets wind of this whole thing and creates him. He's this new internet star at his high school and nobody knew Connor and nobody knows him. And so he can disappear in this new persona, And uh, that's when everything just goes out. But I can see how it went south. And the whole point of the play is how social media has affected all these kids, especially disenfranchised kids. And I that that message is very timely. The play was was on Broadway in 2016. Won six of nine Tonys in it
2: beat uh, it beat come from away
0: right except for directing
1: so on that note i i think a lot of people i haven't seen it but a lot of people have this poised and there's you know before it came out some buzz awards buzz Uh, what are its chances now it doesn't seem like No, Um, the two of you are probably on the, you know, more thumbs up end compared to most folks who are kind of thumbs down about it. What do you think? Nothing for Amy Adams or Julianne Moore?
0: No, no, no. It's because they cut their songs out. Well, they cut the mom's song out, which is really good. Maggie Middleman was very upset about anyone have a map. Uh, That's the opening. One of the the opening opening
2: number. They cut the opening number where it sets the stage. My daughter was like. They cut out the first thing where you find out who everybody is, and now Connor Murphy doesn't show up for like halfway, and you don't know who Zoe is until later. It's dumb because they're talking about her, and they're looking at her, but it's a wide shot, and you don't know that it's Cat unless you know that Caitlin Devers in the movie. It's it's very oddly done.
0: Well, this song, anyone have a map? It's great. It's the well, they, moms- they play the band plays it, which is kind of funny. The yeah, band well, I thought so in too. Yeah. instead of it being a number, the pep band plays it during the pep rally, and they, uh, the they also school.
2: they also play "Good for You," which is another song right. that was cut.
0: They cut two songs: disappear and, to and break also uh, bring a the, glove
2: to break in a glove, which is a great oh, yeah. scene, and that would have that would have been a great scene for Danny Pino. To, to, because he plays the dad and he's kind of left out of everything.
0: Well, you know, what's weird is they changed him from being the dad to the stepdad. Yeah, that's another and weird change. Why? That's one of my quibbles was why change him? And then the the, the mom song, because Joshua, it's about uh, two moms singing about how hard it is to parent teenagers. Grief. Yeah. And And it also
2: establishes Connor as a drug wastoid who isn't really doing anything with his life. And and so you you actually would have more sympathy for Connor or at least a little more insight into Connor. And
0: you don't No the um, the one thing that it might get nominated for is the new song, The Anonymous Ones, which is a great song about about kids hiding what um like um how lonely and um stressed out they are and we just had two suicides at slew well, because these kids are stressed out because of the pandemic and uh this is suicide prevention month so i think the movie can do some good about mental health and that was the whole point of everything and that's why it struck a chord well with- also
2: You know, if they're if you're going to give if you're going to have Ben Platt in the if you're going to take the heat on having Ben Platt in the movie and you don't give him the original song, that's kind of weird, too, because Amanda Stenberg, she's the one that sings it. And then uh, St. Louis's own SZA does a contemporary version of it as well. And they have Sam Sam Smith playing uh, You Will Be Found. Over the credits at the end too.
0: Yeah, everybody knows you will be found because that's become an anthem during the pandemic about uh, loneliness and and uh, that need for connection. And that's uh, still a great song. It's always going to be a great song. And uh, there, they did. There are take- several
2: great songs in this movie. It's just that why did you change so much? You had a successful play. Why would you change anything?
0: Well, since we saw the movie Tuesday night, I have been playing in my head for forever waving through a window and you will be found in my head. And I listened to the new the Sam Smith and some of the uh, contemporary song singers did Summer's, versions, yeah. and some of them are over the credits at the end, but they've released them. Out in the, yeah. The so Summer, uni- Summer Walker
2: sings with Sam Smith in that in that single. but. Lynn, the movie's already two hours and 10 minutes long.
0: Well, 17 minutes.
2: Oh, okay. See, you made it even longer. So there are things that I really can forgive this movie for doing, and there are some things that I question their choices.
0: That's fair. I think that's fair. Now, Steven Jabowski directed it, and he directed The Perks of Being a Wallflower and Wonder. So he has a feel for adolescence
2: well he wrote perks too so
0: yeah and steven levinson who wrote dear evan hansen and won the tony also adapted this so yeah some of the changes are perplexing i don't understand the but you know we'll just but overall i'm okay with it because the it is a very strong message
2: now do you think hold on let me let me just ask you to speculate that Ben Platt would still have been cast if his father wasn't producing this movie.
0: Yeah, I think so, because I think they were so they wanted him to be this role. And um, yeah, I don't know. Doesn't that disrespect
2: the 10 other people that have played Evan Hansen that are younger, including Ben Platt's partner?
1: But also, you know, name them I couldn't but I know that Ben Platt is Evan Hansen and I know nothing beyond what you guys have just told me about the show um so I I don't know I think fans and certainly the internet would in an uproar if Ben Platt weren't playing that role
2: what if Ben um, Platt would I, have played Connor Murphy
1: but I, I I think um I think it's probably you know bared out to show that uh maybe it wasn't the best move or at least it, how people reacted to the trailer right and the the subsequent means of it well i
0: have read i get all the variety alerts and i have read that uh universal is taken aback by such harsh criticism and ben platt has been everywhere he's been on america's got talent he's been on all the talk shows he's been singing his heart out everywhere he can and uh, they're trying to counter um all that harsh criticism
2: okay well i and and i and i like the movie i thought it was but if you compare it to the musical it's definitely not as good
0: well no i mean nothing can take the place of live theater especially well, those fields no the
2: they i give credit for their set designs because those look like teenagers' rooms a little too clean, but they look like teenagers' rooms and the scene where they where she says that it'd be okay for them to date, that is very you feel like they're actually singing to each other you you yeah. feel like they are actually not just lip syncing, actually involved in a performance. I mean she's twenty four she's already she's actually playing younger than she did when she was in book smart
0: caitlin deaver plays zoe and she's fabulous and she's been in so many teenage roles that they're too numerous to mention but i've had my eye on her even before book smart she was in that snake movie with uh walton goggins that i like so much and i talked to him at the critics choice awards about and uh he uh she was one of the teenage friends of the pentecostal
1: them oh, she was in short term
0: 12 yes yeah them yeah that them
1: follow. that follow
0: yeah she was great in that
1: and, and olivia that- coleman was great in that too i didn't didn't particularly care for the movie as a whole but um yes they were both so good in it
0: yeah they were olivia coleman was really good and jim gaffigan was the dad yeah so um I want to talk the the other movie that opens this week in theaters that will be on Netflix October 1st. I was so excited for this movie. It's called The Guilty, and it features Jake Gyllenhaal, one of my favorites, and he bought the American rights to the Danish film The Guilty. They didn't change the title in 2018. When I saw it, it immediately shot up on my top 10 list. Really? And uh, that year, uh, the St. Louis film critics voted it second to Roma for best foreign language. Best film. Foreign film. Yeah. So we it was on our radar. So I heard Jake Gyllenhaal about the American rights. And lo and behold, uh, it opened in theaters September 24th and is going to start on Netflix October 1st. This is a gripping, taut, action thriller featuring a nine-one-one dispatcher. You can't even imagine how enthralling this is because Jake Gyllenhaal plays the title character, the lead character. He is a demoted cop, and you'll find out a little bit about why he's demoted. During the course of the movie, the movie is only 90 minutes. It's zippy. It's directed by Antoine Fuqua. Yes. And he produced it, too. And so, you know, it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Now, the only quibble I had with it is as much as I love Jake Gyllenhaal, he's very intense as a performer. And so the the Danish guy was much More stoic and reserved and when the story unfolds what he's listening to you're listening to all these little changes and it's very powerful now jake as this ex-cop goes to 11. Hmm. there's some scenes where he's just just like a little too much So there's that change in intensity, but I get it. What happens is they took it from Copenhagen to LA and they set it at a time that the wildfires are going on. So in the call center, you see the visuals of the wildfire and how like the firefighters, the, the, Helicopters, all this stuff is involved in these wildfire scenes. And so they're not at a full staff advantage here to help. So the story unfolds. I can't tell you much about the story because you have to pay attention and it's got these twists in it that are just spectacular. Is it and the same?
2: Out- is it the same plot as the 2018
0: yes? Danish they film. do not change much. The only thing I would say is maybe um. They flesh out a little bit more of the cop story and uh, the voice cast is interesting. Riley Keough plays the woman in distress. Elvis's granddaughter, as we've said before. And then there is a a different um, number of guys who are the voices, Peter Sarsgaard who was born at Scott Air Force Base and is Jake Gyllenhaal's brother-in-law, married to Maggie, plays the integral man in it. That's all I'm gonna say. You can't, I'm not gonna spoil it. And so he's he's prevalent in this film. And so that's interesting because it's Jake working with his brother-in-law. And then Ethan Hawke plays a sergeant, a police sergeant, on the phone Paul and Dano's
2: in it then Paul Bill Dan- Burr.
0: Paul yeah Paul Dano plays a um a guy it's it's a really funny part for him because you know he's not known for being humorous no and so but he directed Jake in this wonderful underrated film called wildlife did you see that Joshua
1: yes very oh. good very fine movie but uh, so, what uh, yeah. Carrie Mulligan giving i don't know one of her best of three performances i'm sure better than also
0: that also involves a firefighter yeah so there's little there's um the guy that played cassius clay in one night in miami is a voice okay
1: how i know it's a remake of the danish film but the description of it and having seen the trailer just recalled this I don't even know if it was successful. Do you remember the movie, The Call with Halle Berry? It's the same setup where she's a 911 operator who gets embroiled in like a kidnapping scheme.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's right. Because I I know that we've seen these one person in a story, just like that claustrophobic thing I saw with, oh, Melanie Laurent. It was called Oxygen. It was on Netflix. It's her in a future dystopian world. (laughs) And she's the only person in the movie. So we've seen this before.
2: Well, yeah. Nothing's new, Lynn. And then when it is new, we crap on it because it's uh, why isn't it a sequel? (laughs) (laughs) But I thought as far as an
0: American remake, it's also the script is by Nick Pizzolato, who did the Uh, True Detective True Detectives.
2: Yeah,
1: very that's- cool. You have me sold. I'm I'm definitely gonna check that one out. Now, yeah. is
0: Eyes of Tammy Faye out this week? It was out last week, and, and Joshua and, we and I have it. different
1: opinions.
0: Well, we go do. go for
1: it. You start. Lynn, no, Lynn, you go, you go first. Well, okay. Okay, let me give my case against, and then you can do the rebuttal. It's uh the Eyes of Tammy Faye is a, a fiction, uh, well, narrative adaptation of a documentary from 2000, um, about Tammy Faye Baker. And it was made, uh, contemporarily and, and follows her and, and has talking head and, um, uh, other footage from her life, from the, the channel that she and uh, Jim had together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not a great documentary, but it is interesting to follow this person who's kind of, excuse the pun, fallen from grace um, in the the public imagination. And to see that um, she did some really great things along with it documenting this incredible scandal of uh, money laundering and all kinds of, uh, you know, essentially stealing funds um, in the form of donations uh, from their patrons. Um, And it's an interesting documentary. She's always been an interesting public figure. She's well known for, you know, having this uh, look. We'll call it a very exaggerated make.
2: Yeah, RuPaul narrated the documentary. yeah,
1: it's a world wonder production, the production company that does um, Drag Race. And there are some interesting, you know, queer elements in the new film, too. They cover... Um, when Tammy Faye brought on um, an, an AIDS patient to kind of tell his side of the story. Um, that's in the new film and the documentary as well. Um, <clears throat> but this adaptation, I felt, did a complete disservice to Tammy Faye Baker into turning um, her into a complete clown show. Um, one in the performance uh, by Jessica Chastain, who is giving a a big performance, um, but they're in the little details, including things like, you know, exaggerating her already exaggerated makeup. And, you know, if anything, this is definitely a contender for the hair and makeup Oscar, because there's a lot of it. Um, For me, it, it really, did not work on Andrew Garfield, who plays um, Jim Baker, and um, and especially for Jessica Chastain. Though as she plays the older Tammy Faye, I think it uh, she she settles into that makeup face uh, um, considerably uh, better than earlier. The, the film is directed by Michael Showalter, um, who's made My Name is Doris, but also Wet Hot American Summer. Um, right. He's part came, of the state. Yeah, he's a, a member of the comedy troupe, the state. And with something like My Name is Doris that had, you know, just a tiny bit of awards buzz for um, Sally. Oh, my God. What's her Field. Name? Sally Field. Thank you. Um, uh, it seems like he's leaned into a, a, a kind of um, Oscar bait, but he can't let go of his satirical uh, views and his satirical worldview informs what is mostly in the script feels like a sincere biopic um, about Tammy Faye Baker. And in the details, I actually, I've never seen the documentary and watched it immediately after. And, you know, it's not fair to really compare them. Um, But, you know, a lot of people will take it as the, again, and with the puns, the gospel of Tammy Faye. But um, there are just details in it that make her seem, uh, you question whether or not she's aware of what Jim Baker and his people are up to in their kind of their money laundering scheme uh, in the film to where uh, in the documentary, whereas in the film, they really play her like kind of an idiot. And it feels like, um, you know, just kind of pandering to the audience and trying to keep uh, Tammy Faye on their side. But in the end, what they end up doing is kind of just make her look a uh, uh, very naive, and, and I don't believe that Tammy Faye Baker was ever a, a naive person. I think she was probably the bubbly, sparkly person and um, tried to maintain that face throughout her life. Uh, but in the documentary, you see it crack. And then here, I think it's just a lot more obvious. And I, and I really wish that maybe either my, Michael Showalter had uh, made a film that was a, a complete send-up of you know, this uh, whole religious industry uh, and how it was, you know, born into television um, or made something that sincerely sort of dissected the relationship between these two people and whether or not, you know, Tammy Faye herself um, should be held liable for the things that she did along with a lot of the great things um, that she did. So there's some complex things in there, but I really don't think they were fleshed out in the film.
0: All right, Lynn. All right. Well, I did think she was naive, but she probably was in denial because she was a poor kid. And uh, the makeup world uh, was one of the ways that she uh, thought that was glamorous. Probably like how Dolly Parton, uh, exaggerated her looks because that's what they viewed as beautiful uh, when they when they were growing up so poor. Uh, she's the oldest of eight kids and her mother is played wonderfully by Cherry Jones, Absolutely, the yeah. Tony winner. And uh, she grew up in International Falls, Minnesota.
2: Right and her mother
0: was deemed a harlot because she was divorced. So that's that chip on her shoulder thing that she has. So she meets Jim Baker and he is very charismatic and is a great salesman for the Lord. And one of the things in their Bible college that he rebels against is this feeling that if you're uh, prosperous, there's something wrong with you. So that's what he promotes. And they go from this tiny uh, preaching network televangelism to building the largest television network ptl club in the world and this raises the ire of the other televangelist, pat robertson and Jerry Falwell and they're made out to be the villains and I agree with Joshua that it could have been uh, more focused on how evil they are because obviously they they have built people in their age well Jerry Falwell is played by Vincent D'Onofrio who really nails him as uh he's a you know I mean he was a charlatan so they're all to me most of this is all just, uh, just grabbing, uh, taking the vulnerabilities of people and uh, turning it into this money-making machine, and it's not religion, it's not faith, but it's uh, um, what is it like a- economy? It's financial gain, and so that's how they twist it all. You know, keep those phones a- ringing, and uh, they just keep getting people. But why Tammy got so famous is because she did connect with people in a real way, even though she had this very exaggerated. And then in the 70s and 80s, the big shoulders, big hair, uh, polyester type of uh, person. And she loves to spend money. I mean, she's just but she's oblivious. To where it's coming from, it seems like they start showing all the creature comforts that they build up. And then he's really doing some financial, uh, uh, you know, whatever he, he got convicted on 24 counts of fraud. And so I do think she was brought up in a world where the guy took care of everything And I do think there's that, that it it, this is another movie like how Aretha Franklin was portrayed, like she's a victim of these guys doing her wrong. And so there's that that whole trope. That was
2: true also.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that whole trope of guys controlling their lives. And then they finally get enough gumption to strike out on their own and be real. But she took a lot of flack for standing up for all walks of life, including the gays, because Falwell was against uh, the AIDS pay. You know, the AIDS was a plague, was a scourge and the gay people, but also feminists. He hated feminists. So there's that. But Michael Showalter did the big sick. And uh, that was so successful and wonderful. I, what, I, what I was struck by was that I didn't think they made her a joke. I didn't think the movie mocked her. And I was so shocked at that because I thought it was going to be this ha- hatchet job on Tammy Faye. But I thought they were sympathetic towards her. And I thought Jessica Chastain was uh, just great in that part and I liked Andrew Garfield as the slick guy whose wife is a little rogue and increasingly gets more free and he's trying to restrain her because all the other televangelists like Pat Robertson and Jerry Falwell are looking at him to control her and she cannot be controlled. Tammy Faye is Tammy Faye. I will say
1: that Andrew Garfield in this Although I'm not sure that he's well cast for it, he, he, he it requires um, a lot more aging up uh, for him. So <laughs> he should
2: have had Ben Platt do it. Huge,
1: <laughs> yes. Ben Evan Hansen is uh, Jim. Jimmy, so Jim, Jim, Baker. Baker, Jim Baker. Well,
0: what's interesting is okay. So Tammy Faye died of colon cancer in 2007, and I had forgotten. That and then Jim Baker's still alive and televangelizing or tele, you know that televan, whatever he's still preaching. He's still doing (laughs) it, and and which is amazing. He got he got twenty, he got a forty five year prison sentence, but he only served like five years. But she divorced him in jail and married Roe Meisner, and they were married till she died. Till she died. So she married him in nineteen ninety three. And And when I
2: remember she had a a talk show with Jim J. Bullock, it was Mm -hmm. Jim J and Tammy Faye.
1: Oh, wow. I remember them from my childhood. And the documentary does feature Jim J and footage from their talk show. I remember just at the time it being such a thing that, you know, Tammy Faye, who who became kind of a queer icon. And I think um, RuPaul has done a a lot of that legwork in propping her up. You know, she's, <clears throat> there's a drag queen named um, uh, Tammy who is, just draws her lips exactly exaggerated like Tammy Faye Baker and she's great. So, I mean, she's become a queer icon for many of the reasons that we've talked about. I just feel like the film did not complicate her enough. And right.
0: uh, it's, mo- she, it's more of a one note, right? thing but i do agree that the makeup and hair is going to get oscar nominated because there's like there's there are 17 i counted them 17 makeup artists
1: (laughs) yeah i I see it it's kind of makeup and wig the movie (laughs) everybody's (laughs) got something going on and throughout i was like what why do you really even need to do that because i think just the the actual not I'm talking about the prosthetics on their faces, particularly just to extend their jaws out. Why would you need to do that? I mean she's just gonna look like Tammy Faye Baker if you draw on her you know her uh, line, her tattooed lip liner and her tattooed eyebrows uh, which it opens the film her talking about that.
0: But yeah, she, who knew? Andrew I didn't I didn't know that it was all tattooed <laughs> it was yeah. all tattoos and uh one of the things i liked was um they did show how she was mocked on television like snl i always remember phil hartman and jan hooks playing the bakers and then the church lady of course dana carvey gets involved in uh taking them to task which is hilarious and they're crying now it does touch upon she was heavily medicated and she had a meltdown in terms of and she had to go to the Betty Ford clinic. And, uh, there's that, but there was a t-shirt that I had forgotten about. It was like, I ran into Tammy Faye at the mall and it was all splotches of uh, blue eyeshadow (sighs) and rouge and, and all that. And I forgot about that t-shirt and they show that. So they show how relentless she became the butt of joke.
1: So what do you make of Jessica Chastain in it? I have to say, um, Andrew Garfield uh, is more capable, or at least shows here that he's more capable of riding this line between um, this deep satire and making him a a fleshed out person uh, dramatically. Whereas I thought Jessica Chastain was just doing so much. And it felt like kind of an outsized drag performance of Tammy Faye Baker. Um, as the film goes on, and you know the veneer starts to crack, you do get a bit more of uh, you know uh, what's driving her and the the conflict inside her. Um, but for the most part. I just really did not care for Chastain in this at all. I think it's probably one of the the worst performances she's given, but it's certainly the biggest one.
2: It's no what, Molly's Game or Zero Dark Thirty.
1: It's certainly not Zero Dark Thirty. No, and I th- which is probably probably her her best. Uh, she's uh, good
2: in Molly's Game.
0: Yeah, she, yes, yes, she I agree. Um, I agree. She, Zero Dark um, Thirty is her pinnacle. Yeah. I'm I'm one of the people that thought she should have won the Oscar for zero no, dark. 30. I, I
2: do too, because, and here's my, this is stupid reasoning, but in 2012, that was the best performance. And I said, Jennifer Lawrence will be nominated again. This is the best that Jessica Chastain has been. And po- it, it was a role of a lifetime. And I think that, and of course she was nominated again later, but but I think that Jessica Chastain could have won. And because Jennifer Lawrence still has a long career ahead of her.
0: And she's been missing for a couple of years, but she returned. She this got year.
2: married and had a baby.
0: Right, right. Well, I'm just saying she comes back and Jessica Chastain has fallen out of somewhat favor, although she returns to this. Now, I thought she was great because I thought she um embodied the complexities of that role but i do agree that it was fairly one note but uh she puts her heart into that singing and who knew but she and oscar isaac are juilliard buddies Mm -hmm. and they're in the hbo scenes from a marriage and i did see the original ingmar bergman uh film well, and a uh it's a hard watch the miniseries
1: it, it, just it, like it the movie was busted
2: up a whole bunch of uh uh swedish marriages
1: it, it, Yeah, the divorce rate rose i think mm-hmm. the figure is 60 percent after the the final episode or something well this
0: <laughs> movie we're seeing next week lamb is a scandinavian film It's dark. they they it's this beautiful country you know sweden and finland and denmark and then they make the darkest movies mm-hmm. I, yeah. because look at the girl with the is dragon
2: drink tattoo
0: <laughs> the girl with the dragon tattoo and then headhunters which there's all these and they're wonderful movies but they're also dark and so i enjoy that about the the scandinavian cinema because it's such a dichotomy of these you know, beautiful blonde people in the land of the midnight sun, and then it's horribleness. And so, uh, but anyway, getting back to uh, Jessica, uh, Jessica Chastain and Oscar Isaac. I think one of them was number one in their class, and the other one was number two. So there's got to be that interesting. But she has been a little quiet. Like the movies that she was in, there was one a couple of years ago, same time as Hidden Figures. It came out, it was like the same week we screened it and I missed it and I can't remember what it was, but it was about the government. She was a lawyer and then, and it, she hasn't been doing as many buzzworthy things.
1: Oh, you're talking about Miss um, Sloan. Yeah. Yeah, Miss oh, yeah. Sloan. Yeah, Yeah, she was in it chapter two. Well, that's her, her buddy directed that. And right. um yeah, she hasn't been, very active. She was in that film Ava too. That was just kind of oh, unceremoniously yeah, ew. dumped. Yeah, but it seems like yeah, she's uh she's making a comeback. You know, I am looking at. I'm pulling this from her IMDb, and the eyes of Tammy Faye seems to be a precursor for her playing Tammy Wynette in a TV series called George and Tammy. Mm. So (laughs) she, she's got some awards prospects. uh, Even if Tammy Faye Baker doesn't work, maybe Tammy, why to get her an Emmy?
0: Yeah. She was at first talked about, maybe she'd get an Oscar nomination for eyes of Tammy Faye, but I think she's going to be left out of the pack because there's going to be so many forthcoming ones uh, that are just going to supersede
1: that. And the film has not done well. It's it's even on its level. It's by it's Fox Searchlight. It's independently made, well as independent as a Disney subsidiary can be. Right. Um, but uh, even on that level, it's done very poorly. So I, I think it'll probably disappear from our consciousness uh, relatively shortly. Especially since we have. I, I don't just way too many movies packed into the next two months.
0: Well, right. let right. Let's
1: well, let's,
2: that, let's move on then. Let's talk yeah. about. Uh, the,
0: well, I was just going to mention that the Spencer trailer dropped yesterday. And if Kristen Stewart isn't in the top five, I don't know. I don't you can't know. Just
2: looks- say that from the trailer. That could be the best two minutes of the movie.
1: I got to tell you from that trailer, she's got to be in it, right? Like she is definitely there. And even just from the trailer, I think she's got the, you know, and we have our own awards that we vote for and we try not to factor in things like uh, a performer's narrative. We try to just look at the work. But eventually what happens for a lot of awards bodies, including the Oscars, um, she's got the narrative behind her. You know, she was the the Twilight kid and then she's done all this great work she has a french oscar decade.
2: she has a french oscar already so for the clouds so, of Sils maria which is a fantastic film and they it is have, they should have nominated her over here it was a great movie i love that film agreed i've always been a fan of hers twilight notwithstanding,
0: so right well twilight she drove me crazy with the hair twitching and stuff but she had made really good indies before that She uh, did uh, Into the Wild, and she also uh, was the the kid in Panic Room. She -hmm. was Jodie Foster's daughter, so she started out young. There is a movie called The Yellow Handkerchief, and she's in it with a pretty much unknown Eddie Redmayne. And William Hurt and Maria Bello, and it's it's set in New Orleans. It's a road trip type of movie, and it's very good. And that just went nowhere. But she's one of the people, and this is before Eddie Redmayne rose to prominence, getting a Tony for Red, and then of course an Oscar for playing Stephen Hawking's. So, you know, it's just there's all these little tiny movies that you find somewhere and then um if you always want to see the movies that we talk about that you haven't heard of it's on justwatch.org you can find out where they are
2: so let's talk about something that's on hbo max for the next three weeks and in theaters right now uh clint eastwood's latest called cry macho i did not see it because it did not appeal to me
0: well i watched it i I watched it too um, I thought it was better than I thought because I had very low expectations. I don't know about you, Joshua, but I had very low expectations. Clint Eastwood is 91. I looked it up. He has uh, made 70, he has acted in 72 films, he has directed 45. He has directed this and starred in it as a broken ro- rodeo star and uh horse trainer named Mike Milo and this is his first film since The Mule
1: <laughs>
0: And which we shouldn't talk about oh yeah Well, uh, although I have such low expectations for these movies that I'm surprised that it's entertaining this is a western yarn this is from a 1975 book by N. Richard Nash who is known for writing westerns and it is uh, a, a road trip, basically, a coming-of-age uh, movie for this young Mexican boy who's 13, Rafo. And he's played very well by Eduardo Minette. And some of the other performances are way over the top, like the bad guys. And Dwight Yoakam plays a heel, who is, uh, who's Clint's boss who lets him go, but then brings him back when he needs this mission to Mexico in the guise of, I want my son back. He's 13. His mother's crazy. So Joshua, take it from there.
1: So I will say that that part of the film is not good. (laughs) Um, It's very lazy script writing. uh, The way that Exposition is just kind of immediately dumped in order to inform character, stock character types that, of especially course, especially the
0: Hispanics, the, are, the Latinos. Yeah,
1: yeah, and and he's he's got to cross into the border into Mexico, and the the mother of uh, the the kid who he's after is. Uh, I didn't understand what was happening with it. Just some kind of cartel. I, I didn't really understand who she was supposed to be or why she was performed the way she is. Um, at one point, she gets mad at Clint Eastwood, a 91-year-old man. She is probably 30, uh, if not a little bit older than that. Uh, beautiful woman. She gets mad at him because uh, Clint Eastwood doesn't want to have sex with her. And that felt like something out of the mule for sure. So by this point, I'm like, oh man, we're just doing this again. But inevitably it gets to classic, you know, elegiac Clint and um, something out of a perfect world or bridges of Madison County. Once um Clint Eastwood and The Kid, who I, I kind of have to disagree with you. I, I think The Kid is probably the worst performance in it, unfortunately. He's, he's doing a, 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 quite a bit. And I don't think Eastwood um, really, who, someone who makes films very quickly, is capable of getting a performance um, that is measured and controlled out of a kid. Having said that, it's fine. It's fine. Um, because that's kind of the character, right? But well, it was um, supposed
2: to—it was supposed to be uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger when they were going to make this movie ten years ago.
1: Uh, well, I'm glad that it isn't, because where it gets to, it, it settles in. They, you think it's going to be this big kind of chase film, but what they do is they stop in this um, town that's close to the border, very small town, and they stop in a restaurant and. They immediately have a connection with the um, the woman who owns the restaurant, and then the rest of the film is just kind of a very soft film about um, you know closed off people opening up uh, for connection. Um, you know, he does kind of start a romance with this woman, and it's it's very sweetly done. Um, I loved her in it. Um, I, and for me this section of the film really turned around what was so awful um before it but what is before that does still exist so ultimately uh, you know i would uh, recommend with caveats um yeah i really wish the the first 45 to an hour were uh, considerably tighter and 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 matched the the kind of sensitivity of the last half. And there's some turns in the end um, because they're still, you know, ostensibly on the lamb that are a little silly. Um, But ultimately I I think it's uh, just a kind of solid, well-made thing, especially in that midsection.
2: Well, I'm not going to watch it.
1: Uh, <laughs> I, I have not convinced you to watch half of Cry Macho.
2: No, and you know what, um, Lynn? You said the last. This is the last movie. The Mule was the last one he acted in, but the last one he wrote and directed was Richard Jewell. And there are there are fans of Richard Jewell. Oh yeah, they were very surprised that he didn't put himself in there anywhere, but there, there was no room for him in that movie.
0: Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, because it was a little loose. That's what happened. Um, Well, um, I agree with Joshua about the first part because I thought it was more like a Telemundo episode. And I was like, oh, geez, especially the crazy mom uh, with the slinky dress and the way uh, over made up uh, in the mansion. I was like, oh God, this is not, but then when they get to the, to the road picture with the boy, I thought it was sweet. And Marta is played by Natalie Travern and she's very, she's very good. Now, 91 year old Clint's dancing to a jukebox. So that's interesting. But um, I thought it was a little sweet, the relationship between he and the kid. And the reason is called Cry Macho is Macho is the name of the kid's rooster that he uses in cockfights and he's a little scallion, this rep scallion kid. And um, I don't know, you don't really want him to go with Dwight Yoakam. So yeah, but Clint signs off, but we have a happy ending. So, but yeah, no, I agree. The second half was, was what I found entertaining. And I thought, okay, well, this makes up for me mocking it in the first half. Sometimes movies surprise. Sometimes movies surprise you because it is Clint being Clint, and that's what Clint want. uh, Clint fans want Uh, this cadet drive-in. No, this Starlight Drive-in in in Cadet, Missouri, that Tom Stockman's so fond of, is having a Clint Eastwood triple feature this weekend, featuring this film, which is on HBO Max through October seventeenth, and then it's. Dirty Harry, and I forget the third one. But people love Clint, and politics aside, he did support Mike Bloomberg in the last election, although he's known for his talking to a chair at the Republican National Convention supporting Mitt Romney in 2012. So there's that. But politics aside, Clint's going to be Clint.
2: Yeah, and you don't expect anything less or more from him
0: no he has eight children <laughs> by several wives and not wives <laughs> and so um he's he's led a very interesting life Um uh, when i was a kid because i'm way older than you guys he was on rawhide yeah on tv rowdy yates
2: oh honey I, i'm looking at the starlight drive-in uh it seems they're not going to play dirty harry they're going to do cry macho And then the Every Which Way But Loose and Any Which Way You Can.
0: Oh, okay. Well, maybe they changed it because the original picture had the Dirty Harry. So maybe they've switched out the other films from last weekend.
2: Yeah, you can if you're going to watch Cry Macho, you can watch Every Which Way But Loose. But you don't need to stick around for any which way you can.
0: Clint and an orangutan.
2: For two movies. (laughs)
1: <laughs> i will All say right. i'm not here to advocate for hbo or hbo max but they do have many clint eastwood's warner brothers of course he always right. works with warner brothers many Clint eastwood films up on there including cry macho for i guess two more weeks yep more weeks.
0: well i love to play misty for me that came out when i was a senior in high school and jessica walter was terrifying terrifying
2: unforgiven and- is still the best
0: And he that was when that was his first film he directed play Misty for me. So I have a fondness for that. But Unforgiven is a brilliant Western uh, that you really have to dissect because at first glance, but Gene Hackman, oh, man.
2: Gene Hackman scared Morgan Freeman. Some
1: rough stuff.
2: Yes. All right. Yeah. Did either, either of you see Blue Bayou?
0: i did i'm sorry it is i know dan buffle likes it a lot but i was so depressed by it it is an immigration story it ends badly it is so darn dark it is alicia vikander an american married to red yeah married to um Justin Chong, who plays a Korean American, he was adopted.
2: He wrote and directed it too.
0: Right, he wrote and directed a Triple Threat. He adopted, he was adopted and his birth, not his birth, his birth mother, there's a lot of flashbacks to her almost drowning him. And then he lives and she gives him up. And his American family only had him for six months before they put him into foster care and they neglected to do the paperwork that would have made him an American citizen because he was legally adopted, but that little detail was left out, And so he uh, gets in some trouble with the law and they discover, oh, we can deport you. So this is a bigger issue. There is an act in Congress waiting about Um, making adoptees American citizens because at the end they have this wrap up where they're showing real people who got deported despite how they've lived here their entire lives and through no fault of their own, you know, they were an infant when this little, that fell through the cracks. And so that's the whole point of the movie. And I get it. It's set in uh, New Orleans. So we have the real feel of that humidity of the culture the cajun creole accents and uh he is raising uh alicia vickander's daughter by another guy who just happens to be a police officer
2: oh
0: how convenient and uh so we have the whole that whole like family thing and her mother hates him and her mother uh, uh, is always pressing her to leaving and because he isn't a stable provider because he has a hard time finding work because of his police record and the fact that he's korean so it's all that but it's just so unrelentingly grim hmm.
2: another movie yeah, i won't I, be uh, watching a,
1: uh, kayla uh, who uh, kayla mccullough who writes yeah with, with the lens <laughs> seemed to like it quite a bit, and um, I talked to someone else who saw it and said it was one of the worst films of the year <laughs>
2: <laughs> so it's divisive
1: right
0: right I just was i just maybe it was because we saw two in a row that were so uh depressing. Oh, I saw the card counter, that's it, so I saw two just very dark films in a row, and I was. I was in the mood for that's maybe why I was in the mood for eyes of Tammy Faye. Cause that was the third one I saw. And I was just so relieved. It wasn't so downbeat. Let's put it like that. Not that I'm a, not that I'm a Debbie downer, nor am I a, uh, you know, perky cheerleader. So well, here, if, just, you want to,
2: if you want to be, um, lifted up and made happy by something that has made you sad in the past, Disney Plus has Star Wars Visions where there are nine episodes and they are done by seven Japanese animation companies. So it's anime style. I've, I've watched five of them so far. Some of them are 13 minutes. Some of them are 22 minutes. The best thing about Star Wars Visions, they are non-canon and they don't have to do anything with Skywalkers. So If you've been disillusioned by Star Wars, check this out. And if you're still a fan of Star Wars, also check it out because it is some of the best Star Wars work and done in animation. And that's a high bar because a lot of people that are still disillusioned with Star Wars still like the Clone Wars stuff, like the Bad Batch. These are very well done. And, you know, it's full circle now because Lucas stole a lot of stuff from Star Wars from Japanese anime. Or Japanese old stories, and now the circle has become complete. Oh, wait, that's from Star Wars. Hey, that's and that- of
1: course, there are some just idiots online the same idiots that don't like The Last Jedi, um, who are just completely <laughs> upset about you know,
2: that it's not that, canon,
1: that it's not canon, that there's so much Japanese um, culture and kind of cribbing from anime and everything and that's
2: what it was for
1: <laughs> right it's just insane um i'm excited to watch it i uh i got the screen for it and just forgot about it but i'm oh. happy to watch it with everyone now
2: well now that there are nine episodes we're halfway done and my daughter <sighs> okay so my daughter loves japanese things and so we have to watch them in both english and japanese and she's like, because dubs are awful. And I'm like, uh, that's Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and that was uh, the kid that plays uh, Shang Chi. He he does the American dub in one of them, and they're the American voice cast is amazing. And I don't, I am sorry, I don't know who the Japanese voice casts are. <laughs> and I wanted to see them, so my wife's forcing us to watch them in English, and my daughter's forcing us to watch them in japanese so i'm watching them twice and enjoying them both times
0: well another uh, another upbeat movie on amazon prime right now is everybody's talking about jamie and if you liked kinky boots and if you liked um i don't know the prom i guess in its original version not the netflix version uh this is based on a true story about a Kid named Jamie Campbell, who uh, was the subject of a BBC documentary. At sixteen, he his life goal was to be a drag queen, and he is stuck in this blue collar town in England uh, called Sheffield. And his guidance counselor is played by Sharon Horgan, the brilliant comedian. And uh, she is trying to tell the kids to keep real because they all want to be like YouTube stars. <laughs> and she's like, lower your career expectations. And she asks him and he says he wants to be a performer. He's got his eyes on this pair of sparkly red glitter shoes. And his mother, his supportive mother, she's she's just wonderful. She uh, gives him to him for, her, for his 16th birthday. And he has a friend in high school who encourages him, be who you're gonna be. So that's the whole message of the film. It was a musical back in 2017 on London's West End stage. And this is a faithful adaptation. It's the newcomer, Max Hedrick is his name. He's Harwood. fabulous. Mark- Max Harwood. Max Harwood, I said headroom. I am going to say, Max, Max Headroom. headroom. You got me I'm that's sorry, incredible. I'm sorry. Oh, God, yeah, that's, a, I'm so sorry about that. I just had a brain freeze. And the great supporting star is Richard E. Grant as the local drag queen.
2: I thought you were going to say Loki, but yes, because Richard E. Grant was in Loki, but local, I'm sorry.
0: Local, he is, uh, his character is Loco Chanel. And he, he he mentors Jamie on how to be a a drag queen. And uh, it is about, you know, it's one of those high school coming of age, be who you are. His father is homophobic and adult and his mother is supportive and she uh, saves money to get him this pair of shoes and it hinges on that. And so it's like, yeah, go do what you're born to do. and she. Uh, she's she's great and then Sharon Horgan you know is the what do you call throw cold water on everybody like she's not very supportive blanket yes that's it and uh, so it's it's good it's a nice adaptation and it's got peppy upbeat musical numbers so I enjoyed it I like that message I thought he was great, and I thought the cast was very good at being real. It, it kind of takes that whole uh, Billy Elliot premise of you're a fish out of water and uh, the, your surroundings. Uh, you, you've you outgrown your surroundings.
2: So we started with the musical and we end with the musical. Nice yeah, how that.
0: about that?
2: How about not, that? Not planned at all.
0: no. Uh, the, um, uh, the Tony, uh, speaking of musicals, the Tony Awards are Sunday night and it's the big Broadway's back concert. And if you want to see a message of hope and resilience, go to YouTube and see Lin-Manuel Miranda welcome the opening night audience for Hamilton on September 15th. His little speech, because, of course, he's not performing it. He's now, you know, right. the movie star.
2: He's now but, just making money hand over fist by not having to do something every night.
0: Right. And he is, uh, he he gives this very thoughtful, sincere, wonderful speech that's uplifting. And then he's going to be part of this whole Broadway's Back concert. And Tony's because, you know, he is a great, a great marquee figure for the Tony Awards. Uh, Jagged Little Pill, the Alanis Morris. Uh, musical is up. And I'm very intrigued by that. So I'm looking forward to
2: just here doing that album last Saturday night.
0: Yeah. Well, my, my uh, late brother, Matt loved her so much. Saw her in concert. I inherited after he passed all his, uh, his Alanis Morissette albums.
2: So here, here's, here's, here's something that I told someone on Saturday night. They said they were going to Alanis Morissette. Actually, I was telling a teenager this. And I said, so all these women that were dating when Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill came out were angry young men, or sorry, where they were angry young women, and then they after that they passed that phase, they got married. And some of them in the last 25 years have probably gotten divorced, so they're angry old women now. So it was or
1: happier old women.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Good point.
1: Sure. Good point, Joshua.
2: Well, that wasn't the joke, Joshua.
1: Sorry, did I ruin it? I, no. I was a little afraid of where it was going, to be honest. <laughs>
0: but uh, even though it was an aborted Broadway season, they still nominated people. However, Aaron Veit, who I interviewed before Schmigadoon came on uh, Apple TV, uh, he is the sole best actor in a musical nominee for Moulin Rouge. He plays the Ewan McGregor part. Yeah, what if he doesn't? He's the win? one that's going to win. I know. Well, I congratulated him on that, and I go, "I assume you're going to win," and he laughed because, I mean, it's just odd. But if you think about it, Tina the musical, Jagged Little Pill, and it, it's all women-focused shows. Good,
2: and uh, Tina is in the Tina musical. Tina Turner was at the. I think that was the last time she was in the United States. She came back for that, and then went back to Europe, but. At the at the end of the Tina documentary on HBO, Max, uh, the, you see her go to that.
0: Right. And just as a, when we're going to do some St. Louis nods, the Muni announced their season attendance figures. They had nearly two hundred thousand people they would have had over that had uh, Chicago not had the last three performances canceled or the rain for- outs. Well, and the two ran up, but also for COVID, the last three, four or five members of the cast. Yeah, they would became. have had
2: 7,200 people there in in any of those five shows.
0: So the biggest number was, surprise, The Sound of Music. Really? 55,000 plus. And then the next one, which I'm very sorry to report, was Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Now my per- didn't
2: on your feet have the most for a show?
0: Um, they might have, but I didn't have that breakdown. Uh, they had the, on your feet, the Gloria Estefan musical was actually my favorite of the season, although Chicago was probably the uh, the awards magnet at our uh, when we do our St. Louis Theatre Circle Awards in March, March 23rd at the rep. Um, that will probably get the most nominations of the Muni shows. But uh, my personal favorite was the On Your Feet, because did we need that? Or what? I mean, it was just fabulous and it was new. So I like the You need to do new things to bring new shows. This was the 10th time the the sound of music was there. But people love that show so much that you could just tell the joy in the crowd when she started singing the hills are alive people went crazy
2: the dirty little secret about the sound of music 100% fake not <laughs> happened it didn't happen nothing that happened in the van traps escape they they got on a train and went left the country there there is nothing authentic about uh anything in the sound of music Well, the
0: stage production, the kids were fabulous. I will say that. The kids were great. Elizabeth Teeter was Niesel. And the woman, Kate, oh, I forgot her last name. Kate Rockwell. She was a good Maria. The Bond Trap guy, no, Mm -mm. no, (laughs) miscast, bad. But uh, I'll let it go because you know how I feel about some of the old chestnuts, especially Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. I would like to move on. I don't understand this fascination with that. And I apparently am in the minority because it drew 39,000 people.
2: I blame you. But as the pull quote for the season was given by our own Lynn Venhouse right there, they the Muni set out a press release and used Lynn's quote, there is nothing like the Muni.
0: There isn't. There isn't. I've been going since I was in fifth grade. My grandma took me to see, get this one. This is one they never do. And you can see why. Flower drum song. Really? Huh. Mm-hmm. My mm-hmm.
2: grandmother used to take me. We used to take the bus and sit in the free
0: seats. And yeah, well, we, we took a bus with the, the East St. Louis YWCA.
2: We took the Southampton bus that went, that left fr- in front of my grandmother's house, took us to the Muni, and then we, or maybe it was the Hampton bus, either way. It took us to the Muni. And then I want to say someone probably came and got us at 1130 at night. I don't think we took the bus home.
0: Well, yeah, um, I used to take the bus from Fairview. Uh, I saw Sonny and Cher there when they used to do concerts with my friends. And we took the bus from the Sinclair Square. So the Muni Express. So a lot of people do that still, although it just comes once A week not every night so you know and then
2: i saw uh, saw b52s and ziggy marley i saw don henley i saw the moody blues and who oh i saw bob dylan at the muni and i went to go get a drink because i didn't know the song and as i'm rounding the aisle i'm like wait a minute i think this is like a rolling stone and it was you missed well no 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 i didn't recognize it and I was halfway up the aisle and I said, oh, that's what this song is that I don't think I know
0: because well, it my, was my,
2: Bob Dylan.
0: Oh, wow. My first concert at the Muni next to uh, Sonny's was Bert Bacharach in 1970. And he introduced the Carpenters with their new song, Close to You. And everybody went, who are these people? Because the the girl was on the drums. You know, and that was just so was so different. And Richard
2: and, uh, was on. Richard was playing the piano.
0: This was when Bert Backrack was on a roll. Uh, he had just scored Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and won Oscars. And of course, his catalog is uh, is yeah, just peer peerless. He
2: wasn't a singer. He, he no. Was,
0: he, he was a no. f-
2: producer and arranger and writer and did all that stuff so yeah well that's what the
0: watch yeah that's what the backup singers was well i spent my babysitting money and this is this is we're talking old school i sent cash in an envelope to get tickets for my mother grandmother and i think about that
2: my babysitting
0: cash mother pardon you brought your grandmother to go see the carpenters well, we didn't know the Carpenters. It was Burt Backrack. We oh, okay. all loved Burt Backrack. and then and then the Carpenters. Everybody was a surprise, and then that song became number one that year and went crazy. Everybody went crazy, but uh, when Your the Muni
2: said this music is noise,
0: no, she loved it. When my um, when uh, so in 1984, I was pregnant with Tim and crosby stills and nash my favorite from my college years was at the muni and they had a rocky as you can well documented in documentaries they had a rocky relationship Everybody they would come together David crosby they would break up they would come together they would break up and their David harmony crosby. their harmony at the muni was exquisite it was so beautiful and then on a very hot labor day weekend Uh, 1985, I saw Sting right after he had left the police. And he did his Dreams of the Blue Turtle album, and that's when he got to be more jazzy. And it was fabulous. And everybody sang along to A Message in the Bottle, which was wonderful on a beautiful starlit night. And I really missed when they because they quit doing concerts once we all started, we, you know, Riverport and all these different venues we have, but that was a beautiful setting for shows
2: i cheat every time i talk to mike Isaacson at length i ask him why don't they do shows anymore and he has a reason he, he says it, it it it's too small a venue not a lot of not a lot of control and they get shut out of a lot of things it doesn't make sense for them to book concerts there
0: right well we've got the peabody the fox the pet pageant delmar hall we've got the new district where else a
2: riverport i mean and st, uh, st. new venue st. Louis. in
1: chesterfield what's it called
2: that's the factory, factory. and then uh, the st louis music park which is right next door to hollywood casino amphitheater there are a lot of places and so it doesn't financially it doesn't work for them because the bands want too much so they they can't they can't affordably have bands.
0: Right. At- and then there's the Enterprise Center too. So right. and you're going to the Rolling Stones. Where are they Sunday night, Carl? Oh,
2: they're at the wonderfully acoustically <laughs> horrible dome at America Center.
0: <laughs> but oh. you know then Rolling Stones, it's
2: not like you're going to s- you you know every word and you know, Mick's <laughs> 78 years old. So uh, you're going just because you want to see the stones. And that we're taking my seventeen-year-old, almost eighteen-year-old daughter to go see the Stones, so she can say, "I saw Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, and Ronnie Wood."
0: And I hear they're going to um, tribu- do a tribute to Charlie Watts.
2: Oh, good. Well, it's the first show on the tour, so we'll find yeah. out.
0: Oh, wow! Which is exciting, I think. Right?
2: They did a warm-up show in uh, at. I was going to say Boston, outside of Boston, uh, where the Patriots play, because they did it. Robert Kraft hosted a 300 person party for the Stones to warm up where the Patriots play football. So, well, oh, that wasn't no. a whole show.
0: Well, in the uh, in the uh, mention of late uh, stars who have died, we lost a massive one with Norm McDonald, Sixty one of cancer. Nobody was funnier on SNL, and that's what uh, his updates, his weekend updates. But his he was, he was
2: the he was, well, see, everybody loves their own version of Norm. People love him on Saturday Night Live. I thought he was an amazing talk show host or, well, actually, talk show host and talk show guest. I watched his sports show that was on Comedy Central. It was, I loved that show. I was really upset when they took it off the air. I, I actually watched him live when he made fun of Courtney Thorne uh, Smith talking about the Carrot Top. I saw that. Uh, I saw that live and I loved it and I'm glad everyone is sharing it this week. My daughter heard the moth joke for the first time. People don't realize that the moth joke was from when Conan was hosting The Tonight Show.
0: I have so, to look that up. I missed oh, it.
2: The moth joke is great. It's, it's four and a half minutes. Of just a well-told joke and i i just loved i sat next to norm for 45 minutes when he came in with corcoran and hewlett and i got to sit next to him and i enjoyed it and jc asked him some question and he's like i oh, don't know i'm canadian and that is was very norm
0: well, my boys got to meet him at the Funny Bone. That was when I was doing a column for the the revised online St. Louis Globe Democrat. And uh, I got them press passes or whatever. And they got to talk to him in a little storage room, which was hilarious. Yeah. And so we have a picture of that. It's very blurry, but it's still norm. But my favorite was his Burt Reynolds impression on Celebrity Jeopardy on heard SNL. Heard. But Tim Tim used to imitate him doing Larry King in that uh, this just whole random thoughts thing. Yeah, it was just Larry
2: King had a stupid article or he had a stupid column in USA Today, like every Monday. And it was just random crap. And it was and that's what Norm was doing. And then Norm did Norm did Dave because Dave was CBS and they needed somebody to do Dave and Norm got to do it.
0: That's, that's so awesome. Well, he died of cancer at seven sixty one, and he kept it from everybody because he didn't want to be treated differently.
2: Right. And
0: he did win the million dollars on celebrity who wants to be a millionaire no, back in the, didn't. no,
2: he, he didn't. didn't. Regis talked him out of it. He had the right answer and Regis, said do you want to do this normans that's a lot of money and regis was just doing his own thing and so norm said well fine i'll just take the half a million dollars and then regis said well if you would have kept going you would have won the million dollars so he had the answer right and then regis talked him out of winning
0: well, he showed how smart he was. He was smart. And uh, Black Cinema lost a pioneer in uh, Melvin ba- Van Peebles this week. He was a true pioneer of Black he Cinema. He was a
2: badass.
0: He was. Stanley, Sweetbacks, badass song, and father of Mario yes. Van Peebles. And also, uh, my personal uh, uh Uh, One of my favorites from Sex and the City, Willie Garson, who played Stanford Glatch, he died of cancer at only age 57, and he was also in the TV show White Collar with uh, Matthew Bomer, Mm -hmm. and they all, uh, the Sex and the City cast and the White Collar cast, all gave glowing tributes to him online and he is supposed to be in the new sex in the city reboot and just like that that's going to be on hbo later this year so and uh he worked while he was sick well he and had, even
2: he... even uh kim cattrall who has nothing to do with the sex in the city reboot she said lovely things about him and she said my sex in the city buddy
0: Yeah, which is, uh, yeah, they've cut her out of pretty much everything for the new show. Um, They have a new trailer. Mr. Big is back for all of you fans. I I don't
2: care. I know.
0: But I'm already planning a viewing party. So so, um, one of my best friends, Jerry, the will to my grace, I already invited him because he doesn't have HBO. And we used to sit and watch the episodes together. And then my gal pals who we also watch because I was the only one with HBO. Now, I hope I mean, it's like why you have to have HBO and you also have to have Apple TV. It's worth the 4 dollars a month to have Apple TV. And the Emmys, three big, well, four big ones went to Ted Lasso. And I'm so happy that the cranky soccer player one supporting actor, Brett, uh, Goldstein and then Hannah Waddington, who's fabulous, is the team owner. Rebecca won supporting actress, and then Jason Sudeikis, won lead actress, and then it won comedy series. Although Hacks won writing and directing, so I was going to be a little worried. But Gene Smart, the great Gene Smart, won one of our many Emmys, and deservedly so, for playing the Joan Rivers like caustic comedian in Hacks. And uh, of course, the crown took home pretty much everything. Mayor of Easttown, our hometown boy Evan Peters, won his first. They had uh, on IMDb. They have a no small parts, and they do a career retrospective of of uh, Evan Peters. I didn't know he was a he was a kid in like little kid movies.
2: I didn't know that either. That's why they have that feature.
0: Yeah, he's got long hair and, and he's in teen comedies and all this stuff. And besides, uh, I just knew him as Quicksilver in the X-Men movies. And, and then he was
2: from St. Louis.
0: Right. And, and then he showed up in WandaVision.
2: Yes, as Boner. And then,
0: and then uh, the, the detective in uh, Mayor of Easttown, he deserved
1: to win. And so did Julian Nicholson. Did you um, watch Mayor of Easttown, Joshua? Yeah, uh, I, you know, I'm a little bit more mixed on it than a lot of other folks. I thought it kind of lost its way throughout, but, I, you know, of, of the choices, I, I happen to love that they all won that. And, you know, Jean Smart in Mare Town too. So, she, you know, she's having a renaissance of sorts. And, um, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed watching it. I, I found it pleasurable. I don't, I don't know how great it is but they are very good in
0: it. Yeah, Kate Winslet, she deserved that was a tough category. WandaVision didn't win. The three people nominated, Katherine Hahn, uh, Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany did not win, but WandaVision won several technical awards including for the theme, uh, one of the theme songs by the Lopezs who are responsible for Frozen, Robert they're, and they're Kristen. And that winners. Yeah. And then um, uh, I think it won for a title sequence. And I think there were some technical awards, which it should have won. But that's just the breaks. The Emmys, they have so much good TV now who's going to quibble about. but
2: But it seems like they only give it to the they only give it to a couple, a handful of shows. There's so much good TV out there and they're giving it to the same handful of shows.
0: Well, can you imagine being in the same category as John Oliver? Well,
2: John Oliver said Conan should have won.
0: Conan did this whole running bit during the Emmys, which was hilarious. And then Stephen Colbert won for live special for his election night special. And I was really happy to see that because I'm tired of award shows winning the Oscars and and the Grammys. I mean, cut those out. Those award shows should not be winning awards,
1: right? I don't know. Well, they're TV too, so... you know that's a good point to like um to you know hamilton and you know it's emmy inclusion and then it's a film for the globes and we considered it a film for our uh uh awards purposes last year um and then then it won and then it won
0: yeah well i was i I mean yeah i kind of it's it's just a weird line we considered it a film so it was Yeah, television event, but how are you gonna fault though? That cast is magical. I mean, that cast is just great. Oh, by the way, Christopher Jackson's gonna be in the new Sex and the City reboot. Mr. George Washington and Benny in the Heights. And a native, get this, Joshua, he is a native of, well, he was born in Metropolis, Illinois, and he grew up and went to high school in Cairo, Illinois. Nice. I do not know where those places are.
1: Met- oh well, I'm
0: right an Illinois
2: Metropolis uh, is right on the Ohio River.
0: Oh, it's it's a very southern Illinois, and it's Podunkville. So for Christopher Jackson to go from Cairo High School to Tony nominee is a big and deal.
2: Well, and. Metropolis of course is where they have the Superman Festival every year and that's like on the Illinois Tennessee border.
0: Yes. Well, uh, uh Max goes every year and we were going to have him on the show but he couldn't fit it into his schedule. We're so glad you were here Joshua. Um real quick the the Theater Roundup Theaters in Full Swing I this is the last weekend for a fabulous show at the Black Rep which does it's shows at the Ed- Edison Theater at the campus of Washington University. It's called Sweat. It's by Lynn Nottage. It is an exceptional ensemble. It is based in a factory in Reading, Pennsylvania from 2000 to 2008. This is after NAFTA and when all these corporate weasels were shipping work down to Mexico for cheap labor and all these people lose their jobs and how their lives are affected. And it's set in a bar. And this is a play that she won the Pulitzer Prize for Drama for. And it is considered uh, one of the ways that shows how Trump got his Rust Belt voters in 2016. Because this is a 2015 play and Lynn Nottage went to these little towns in Pennsylvania and interview people. And so that they say this explains the rise of the Trump voter. Now, when I'm not going to give it that much credit, but the performances are exceptional. The black rep has come back strong with this one.
2: That's good to know. And the the show's called
0: Sweat? Sweat. Last weekend at the rep, it's uh, the black rep. It's uh, 8 p.m. Friday, Saturday, and 3 p.m. on Sunday, you will have to show vaccine card or um, proof of a negative COVID test,
1: because that's the WashU rules.
2: All right, Joshua, where can we see your work on the lens?
1: Um, that's and Just click on the lens. Um, they've announced cinema st louis has announced dates for uh st louis international film festival yay including
2: including an old venue making a new appearance
1: yeah we're gonna see movies at the tivoli again last time uh we were on we were talking about um the church that purchased it but it turns out uh yeah we still get to see movies there yay yay um but yeah i'm on social media at Crispy retinas. That's Twitter, Instagram, letterboxed, and yeah, feel free to follow.
2: Lynn, where can we find you?
1: I
0: am in the Webster Kirkwood Times every Friday on and in, online. Our reviews with Ken Tencher. I am on KTRS radio with Ray Hartman every Thursday night after the ten PM news and next. Thursday, Max Foyze and I will join Wendy Weiss and Jennifer Blome on KTRS at 11 a.m. to discuss upcoming fall and winter releases that we are excited about. And so tune in to that next Thursday. And I'm excited. Max and I are making our lists about what we're going to talk about. And then I'm also uh, here every weekend with you, Carl. And uh, we are on, um, we're on, we have a Facebook page. We are on SoundCloud and we are on on onstl.com. And I'm also on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm building my page, uh, uploading all my reviews
2: nice oh, you can yeah. find me at underscore carl the intern on twitter and instagram and i will start posting things again because hockey season starts well preseason starts on saturday i got my parking passes today so i won't get murdered in downtown st louis i love that
0: yes and well go ahead
2: no and you can hear me uh every morning on the mark cox morning show on 97.1
0: Well, I'm so happy for that. Um, I forgot both of you were going to be on my trivia team for the I Love Movies uh, Cinema St. Louis Trivia Night last night, or tonight, tonight, September 24th. We're recording this on September 24th. And uh, it was canceled because of the Centene Center um, having to pack in people. And this is COVID uh, escalation times. So, uh, it was going to be virtual, but they're so busy with the SLIF. So next year, keep it in mind guys. Cause All we right. had a kick-ass team. We mm-hmm. would have won. We'll do my studying.
2: I'm saying that we would have won right now. Well, right.
0: I don't know. Tom Stockman's team is pretty, um, competitive and I've come in, uh, to him second frequently and a third place too and then uh, the last time we had it in person which was 2019 an upstart team beat tom stockman's team and he was so upset so that's the goal to place all
2: right well we'll try that everyone have a good weekend be safe uh, we'll see you at the stones
0: bye-bye stay safe be well get vaccinated